we thought it'd be real fun um, to do a series on questions. I thought, man, how great would it be just to be able to answer all those questions that people are always asking? And, um, and so like the first week it was fun. We're looking at some of the questions. It's like, how did dinosaurs get on the ark? I'm like, yes, this is fun. This is great. This is easy. And, um, and then you come to questions that we're going to try to answer today. And it's like, whoa, what happened? Like, Answering questions is not as much fun as I thought it was going to be, um, because all of a sudden our questions have gotten harder and harder and harder. Um, but what we want to do here as a church, someone asked me the other day, they said, they're asking about our, uh, not our theology, but just kind of our philosophy of ministry and how we feel about the Bible and how we feel about doctrine. And, and I told them, I said, one of the things that we want to do here is we want to be biblically based, even if that goes against our traditions. And the guy said, would you be willing to change what you think if the Bible contradicts you? And I said, absolutely. I'm always going to go with what the Bible says, not what I think, right? And, and one of the things I've noticed, we were, I was having some conversations this week, and one of the things I noticed that we do a lot of times in church or in, in life in general is we have an agenda. We have um, a, a, a thought. We have a tradition and what we do is we want to hold on to our agenda. We want to hold on to our tradition so bad that we try to force the Word of God to bend to our will. We try to force the Word of God to bend to our agenda or to our tradition. But the fact is we have to be the kind of people that are willing to bend our lives to fit the Word of God, not the other way around. And so today, we're going to try to tackle a few questions, and I'm going to be honest with you, some of these questions get real personal real quick. Like when you start talking about anything having to do with divorce, um, statistically, half of the people in the room today, actually more than half of the people in the room today, um, have been divorced. And if I were to ask somebody to raise their hands, if you've been divorced in your past or your parents have been divorced, probably, I would guess, 80 to 90% of the people in the room would raise their hands. So divorce is one of those topics that's very close to home. And so, so whenever we tackle some of these issues, I just want you to know right off the bat, um, there is no real agenda here today. The, the only agenda we have is to see what the Bible says, A. B, here's another thing I want you to think about. We were listening to that song that, that Anna was singing, and, and as we listened to it, it talks about the God of love. Now, I've got a hammer in my hand, and, and here's the cool thing about a hammer. A hammer can be one of two things. A hammer can be something that builds. And so I remember one time um, when I was a teenager, uh, I went to help Habitat for Humanity, and I had a friend of mine whose mom, had, um, they had lived in the projects his whole life, and her goal in life was to get out of the projects. Her goal was to get into a real home. And she said, that's, that's the one thing I want to do. I want to do this for my son. I want to do this for my family. And she got hooked up with Habitat for Humanity. And I got to go to that house, and I got to pick up a hammer, and I helped build that home as a teenager. They probably have lots of leaks in it now. You know, I probably didn't do a good job. But at least I was able to help somebody. But here's the thing. A hammer can also be a weapon. A hammer can also be a weapon. You can take the same hammer that is meant to build someone up and you can use it to break people down. And what we've done with God's word is we've used God's word as a weapon way too much. And we want to use God's word to hurt and not to build. And Jesus didn't come to break you down. He came to build you up. 
Now, are you saying that Jesus is soft and that there's no consequence for sin? Absolutely not. There's absolutely consequence for sin. The Bible talks about, you know, we, God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves to hell by our actions and by our refusal to conform to God's will, right? Like, like we send ourselves to hell. But here's the thing. God doesn't want that for us. And he has provided a way out. And it's through his word. And what we've got to do is learn how to read his word. The full context of his word. Not just pick out certain portions that we like and don't like. Right? Not just take one verse, but, but read the whole thing. To study it. And then use it to build, not to break. So that's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to try to attempt. So let me give you some questions that we've been asked, okay? And, um, and some of these questions, I'm going to a- answer them the best way I can. And, um, and some of these, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, the answers are too big for trying to fit the whole thing into this one sitting. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that right now. So some of you may not get the answer you want today, but that's okay. We can sit down together, we can talk together and figure it out. Or something I was actually already thinking about, is there some of these that may need to be like one of these questions might need to be an entire series of messages because it's just too big of a subject. But today I'm going to kind of give you some Cliff Notes versions of answers. So the first question I was asked was, what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? Another one was, can I bring a non-believer into my home? Now, if, if you ask these questions, just A, nobody knows who asked them. B, I've already forgotten who asked them, right? So, um, so don't feel like I'm talking at you today because I don't remember who asked what. Um, so can I bring a non-believer into my home? I'm not exactly sure what that one meant, but I'm going to answer it the best way I know how. Um, can unmarried people have sex? That was a question I was asked. Um, can they sleep in the same bed? Can they sleep under the same roof? And so, uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. Like, the, the question got more and more specific. I was like, oh, I, I don't know. Let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Um, can they sleep under the same roof? Uh, it, it, we'll get into that. Can, is that possible? Maybe. We'll see. Um, what does the Bible say about homosexuality, gender identity, and how do I talk to other people about that? That's a big one. Um, and then how do I overcome sexual temptation? So these are, these are the five questions we're going to try to tackle today. If we can get to all of them, um, we will. Uh, but I want to, before we get into this, let me see how I want to do this today. I kind of want to answer all these, but I've written down a couple of things that I want you to think about. Let's, let's look at your notes. These aren't going to be on the screen, but they are in your notes at the very bottom or the back page of your notes. I wrote down just seven quick truths, biblical truths about, about relationships in general. I, I just want to read these to you and, and let these kind of be a... Um, kind of like a jumping off point for the rest of the message. So one biblical truth is biblical marriage is a union of one man and one woman. So, so we get that, and I'll talk about it in a few minutes, but we get that from the book of Genesis. Before the law was ever given, before people say, oh, well, that's Old Testament, you know, Gabriel. Okay, this is before any laws were given. When God created man and woman, right off the bat, he presents woman to the man. Like, like whenever I do a wedding ceremony, a lot of times it's the, the, the father of the bride presents the bride to, um, to the groom, right? And in this case, the Bible shows us that God actually brings Eve to Adam and presents her to him. And in the book of Genesis, they call them man and wife. It doesn't just say man and woman, just in general that there was a woman there. It says man and wife. In other words, there is a connection, there's a union, there is a covenant being established by God with these two people. So you need to understand that right off the bat, biblical marriage is a man and a woman being married, right? Coming together. 
Um, here's another biblical truth. Sex within the covenant of marriage is holy. We'll get into this also, I think, in the notes. But the Bible says that the marriage bed is pure. So what happens within the context of a marriage is holy. It's good. It's okay. Right? It's allowed. But the Bible also says that sex outside of the covenant of marriage is sin. So, so there's no place, and we'll get into the details in just a minute, but there's not a place in the Bible where it says that having sex outside of marriage is okay. And so we'll kind of figure that out, too, because I know there's going to be some questions. What if you love them? What if you're engaged? What if, what if you know you're going to be together forever? Shouldn't it be okay? So we'll talk about that. The other truth is this. God, I mean, divorce is not God's original intent. God did not create marriage with the idea of divorce. Now some of you say, well, so what are you saying about me and my divorce? What do you say? My, my parents were divorced. Are we in sin? We'll get into it, but I just need you to know that that right off the bat is not what God intended. Divorce and remarriage is permitted in certain circumstances. There are places that the Bible permits divorce and remarriage. Restoration should always be a top priority. In any separation situation, restoration should always be your top priority. Yeah, but Gabriel, there's just no way I could be restored to that guy... I didn't say you wanted it. I'm telling you what it should be. You should want, you should, you should work towards some kind of healthy restoration. And then the seventh one is this. Single and alone are not the same thing. So many times when we talk about marriage, we isolate single people out. And we push the single people off to the side like you're some kind of sideshow or something. You're not. As a matter of fact, Jesus and Paul both said it's good to be single. Paul said, if you're single, you can devote more time to doing God's will. Jesus said, some people aren't strong enough to be single. In other words, Jesus is like, single is so good, some of y'all can't even handle it. So you need to understand that for a second. Paul says, part of you need, some of y'all need to get married because you're too weak in your sexual temptation. You can't control yourself. You need to get married because you're going to end up in sin. You're not strong enough to be single. So if you're single today... I need you to hear something. We may be talking about divorce and remarriage. We may be talking about all these different things. But if you're single today, you need to know something. Single is not the same thing as alone. One of our key verses here at our church is, um, is out of Psalm 68 where it says that God puts the lonely in families. God wants you to understand something today. If you are single, doesn't mean you're by yourself. God provides a family of believers around you, to help you, to love you, to give you relationship. Yeah, but the Bible says that man should not be alone. It says that man should not be alone because he was absolutely alone. He wasn't single. There was nobody else on earth, right? If you're all by yourself on a desert island, that's not good for you either. You'll end up like Tom Hanks talking to a volleyball and, and, and living your life with your friend Wilson. Like, that's not good for humans. We're not meant to be like that. So when God says that, he's not saying that every one of you must have a husband and a wife. He's saying you need to have relationship in your life. So just that's just kind of a something we need to say. So let's get into the questions. Number one, divorce and remarriage. Divorce and remarriage. Now, this is, Jesus talks about divorce and remarriage multiple times um, in the Gospels, okay? But in some of those Gospels, like in the book of Mark, 
Um, Mark just kind of blows past it pretty quick. He doesn't give us all the details of what Jesus said. So the same situation is happening in Matthew. And so we understand that the Gospels were written by four different people, giving us four different perspectives of what Jesus said. Now, Mark may or may not have actually been there. Um, I'd have to do my research on that one. Luke absolutely wasn't there. John was there. Matthew was there. So these two guys, John and Matthew, were both there, present, taking notes, right? So here's what Matthew says about divorce and remarriage, what Jesus said. He's he's quoting Jesus. Um, He's telling us a story. Matthew 19. This is big. You need to hear this. Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to pause in here a couple of times. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him. If you're underlining today and you're a little bit of a nerd like me, underline large crowds. That's a big deal. Um, Large crowds followed him and he he healed them there. Verse 3. Some Pharisees came to test him. Underline test if you're underlining today. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Let's pause. So here's the problem. Jesus has what following him? What did we just say? Large crowds, right? Now, the Pharisees are also walking along, checking Jesus out. They're seeing the big crowd. Here's the problem with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are saying, hey, we don't have large crowds following us. So what happens? They get jealous. So what do they want to do? They want to trap Jesus, right? The Bible says test. Another version says trap. I like the trap, right? So Jesus comes in. uh, The Pharisees come over to Jesus, and they trap him. They're trying to trap him with this question. And the question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Any and every reason is the key part of that sentence. Because what they're doing is they're referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now check this out. Deuteronomy 24 verse 1. The Bible says this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. So there were two rabbis in the Jewish um, culture that tried to figure out Deuteronomy 24.1. One rabbi um, was named Shammai. The other one was Hillel. Now, one of these rabbis, and I get, them, I get the two confused. I'm sorry. We, we don't need to get into the weeds here. But one of them focused on the word indecent. One of them focused on the word displeasing. The one that focused on the word indecent understood that the word indecent meant sexual sin, right? He understood like the actual word in the Hebrew for indecent means to expose your nakedness. In other words, it was a place where, um, where you could divorce based on the fact that your spouse had become indecent with another human. Now, I know we got teenagers in here today, and I'm sorry. We're, we're, I'm going to be good, but I'm just letting you know that that's, the Bible says this. The other one focused on the word displeasing. And whenever he taught displeasing, here's what he taught. He taught it's not about sexual sin. It's about any way that your spouse displeases you. Even to the point of, I don't think my wife is as good looking as that woman over there. She displeases me. Here's a divorce paper. And so the Jews had these two factions And one faction was just willy-nilly, let's get divorced for any reason, a lot like we live today, right? Like anything you say or do, let's get a divorce, let's split up, let's break up. The other faction was buried by the letter of the law, no divorce except for sexual immorality. 
So we've got these two factions. So here's what the Pharisees do. I'm just giving you a little background because I think it's cool. The Pharisees come into Jesus and they try to trap him. Basically what they're saying is, which faction do you choose? Are you with Hillel or are you with Shimei on this topic? Because they understood something. If he says, I'm with the faction that's by the letter of the law, he's going to lose the crowd. The crowd won't stay with him because the crowd is all about divorce for any reason. But if he says, I'm with the, the one that says you can divorce for any reason, now he has violated the law. And so they're trying to trap Jesus to get him stuck between these two points. I love what Jesus does here. Check it out. Verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that in the beginning the creator made them male and female. Jesus says, let's just go back to the word of God. Let's just go back all the way to the beginning. You're trying to trap me with two people's opinions. Let's just go back to the word of God and see what the word of God says. Anytime someone tries to trap you in an argument, go back to the word of God. Just take them back to the word of God. Stop focusing on your opinion or what you think and go back to God's word. Haven't you read, he replied, that in the beginning the creator made them male and female, he said. And for this reason man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. How many fleshes do they become? One flesh. That's important for your marriage today. You need to understand something. Your marriage is an entity on its own. You are not married to be happy. You are not married to be satisfied. And what we do is we get into a marriage and we say, I'm not happy anymore. I'm not happy. Well, too bad, cupcake. Life isn't easy. It's hard. You're not always going to be happy. You're going to wake up one day and she's going to smell bad or he's going to look bad and he's going to go bald. And that's not the guy you married, right? Like That's going to happen. It's going to happen. But here's the thing. It's not about being happy. It's not about always being satisfied. The Bible says the two become one. I've got to keep this one together. So that's important. That may be for next, whatever Wednesday night we're doing the thing. I don't know. I'm focused right now. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Don't let anybody break it up. Not you, not anybody else. Don't break it up. So here's what they come back with. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? I like the fact that these dudes use details that aren't there. They said, why did Moses command it? Moses didn't command it. Moses permitted it. Big difference. Big difference, right? Moses permitted it. That has nothing to do with the message. I just think it's neat. Verse 8. Jesus replied, Moses permitted... See, Jesus goes back to the real word. Moses permitted you to divorce your wife because your hearts were hard. But that is not the way it was from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except... For sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Pause. So Jesus gives us a concession here. Now in Mark, you read the same thing in Mark, you don't see that concession, right? Mark leaves out some of the details. He doesn't get into it very much. So in Mark's word, Mark's version, Mark just says, if you get a divorce and remarry, you're in adultery. Like that's all it is. So I was talking to a friend of mine one time, and, and, and he pastors a whole other church in, in different, different style of church. And, and we were talking about um, someone, a mutual friend of ours, that was, uh, that was looking to date someone that had been divorced. And he said, Gabriel, what do you think about that? 
And I said, well, I don't know the whole situation. I don't know the person. I said, but, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what, what the difference is. I don't know if it's bad or, or right. I'm not sure. I don't know their story. And he says, well, there is no, there is no circumstance. There is no gray area. There, it's black or it's white. It is she is divorced, and therefore anybody she marries, she commits adultery, and they commit adultery. And I was like, ooh, I don't know the Bible says that. And so he takes me to Mark. He never took me to Matthew, right? So in Matthew, it says, there's a concession here that Jesus himself gives us. Why? Because that sexual immorality, we just said earlier, sex outside of the marriage covenant is sin. That sexual immorality is breaking the covenant that we have. And so Jesus says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you that one. Now, we'll, we'll keep going just for a second. Um, verse 10, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. The disciples were like, like how, they, their version of marriage is so warped. They're like, you mean to tell me I can't divorce my wife for just any reason? I'm not even getting married. Like, forget it. You know, like, why would I even do that? You know, the, the disciples, God love them. They needed some help. They were just getting started here. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept these words, but only um, to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Eunuchs there, he's talking about single. He's not talking about being castrated. Um, and, and the one who, who can accept this should accept it. In other words, Jesus says, some people just live single and that's good. And they should keep doing it. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 15 gives us another another concession that Paul makes. So Paul acknowledges the sexual immorality, adultery, that's a reason for divorce and remarriage. Now, there may be other reasons for divorce, but not for remarriage. Do you see the difference? And I need you to understand something. Last week we said, uh, last week we, we touched on the topic of suicide, very sensitive subject. And here's the problem whenever you talk about suicide or, or any subject, really, something that, that is so sensitive there are going to be people in the room or people in your life that are just looking for an excuse. There are people, not in this room, you guys are all really good and holy, but there's people watching online today, I'm sure, right? That are not as holy as you are. And they're just, they're in a relationship right now that they just don't like their spouse. Like it has nothing, there's no sin, there, there's no problem, there's no issue. They just don't like them anymore. And because they don't like them, they're looking for a way to get out. And so they're hoping that I can say, here's a reason for you to divorce and go marry somebody else. There are people, I've seen people in churches, pastors, I've seen it. That, that wanted to marry somebody else, and so they looked for any reason they could to divorce their wife so they could get married. Now you see why it's called adultery, right? It's called adultery because that person, that man, let's say, take the man for instance, that man is wanting a divorce not because there's an issue, he wants a divorce because there's somebody better looking on the other side. So therefore, Jesus says it's adultery. Why? Because your heart isn't right. You don't want the divorce because they're sinning. You want the divorce because you want somebody else. In your heart, you've already committed adultery, and you're just looking for a legal way to get what your heart desires. So understand that today. When we talk about divorce, we're, we're, we're going to say there are ways that you can get divorced. The Bible says that. But there are also places that the Bible says once you divorce, you should remain unmarried. I don't want to say that, 
But that's what the Bible says. Now it says in a case of adultery, you can get remarried. Paul says, if you got two people that are married, that one's a believer and one's not a believer. And the non-believer chooses to leave. He said, that's fine. If the non-believer chooses to leave because they don't, you know, they're not with you on this. So in other words, it's not a matter of, I'm a Christian, I'm married a non-Christian. It's a matter of, we were both non-Christians, non-believers, and I decided to get, become a Christian, right? And especially in this world where you've got these um, very pagan, you know, lifestyles. Here in Alabama, it's a little bit different. Everybody's a Christian in Alabama, right? And so, but here they weren't. And so whenever they get married, um, one of them gets saved, and the other one's like, yo, you're crazy. I'm not, I'm not doing this, and I'm out. Right? And Paul says, if they leave you because you're a Christian, that's like persecution. You can't help that. That's okay. It says, but if the unbeliever, 1 Corinthians 7, 15, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Paul also says, though, before that, he says, if you've got an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving wife, you should stay together if they want to stay together. Just the simple fact they don't believe the way you believe doesn't mean that you get a divorce thought that was interesting because Paul says it might be that you get them saved so why would you leave if you've got an opportunity to get someone saved right you want to stay together here's the other thing you need to know about divorce and remarriage is that reconciliation should always be the goal first Corinthians 7 10 through 11 to the married I give this command not I but the Lord in other words Paul's emphasizing this isn't just me this is what God says a wife must not separate from her husband but if she does she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and a husband must not divorce his wife. In other words, what Paul's saying there is he's saying there are some places where you divorce, where you separate, but it's not a place where you get remarried. And he says, I want you to stay unmarried for a reason, because there might be reconciliation. There might be reconciliation. Yeah, but Gabriel, how often does that happen? More than you think. I've got a friend of mine right now, um, I didn't ask his permission to share his story, so I'm not going to use his name. But I've got a friend of mine that just got remarried yesterday, I think. This past week, he got remarried to his wife, right? To his wife. What happened? Quite a few years ago, she, she committed adultery. They divorced. He remained unmarried. She remained unmarried. And eventually, she repented. And now they got back together, they started dating, they started talking, they started going through counseling, and then yesterday they remarried each other. Reconciliation happened. Why? Because he was patient. Because he was patient. He didn't get a divorce because he's trying to find somebody. He got a divorce because there was, there was legal grounds to do it, biblical grounds to do it. But then he remained faithful and just said, look, I'm not, I don't feel God's release for me to go find somebody else. I'm going to wait on her. And they ended up getting back together. Awesome story of reconciliation. All right. So, when it comes to divorce and remarriage, can we do it? There are times when you can do it. Should we be looking for that? Absolutely not. All right? Absolutely not. We're not looking for a way out, ever. When I marry couples, I say this is a covenant, not a contract. We're not looking for loopholes and escape clauses. We're looking to stay together forever. So what happens, Gabriel, if my husband or my wife is just, they're just, you know, mean or they're whatever? If you're in a dangerous situation, then, then we can talk about that. I think that's a little bit different. You know, the Bible doesn't address spousal abuse or child abuse. It doesn't address that at all. Um, but I do think there's a place where if you're, if you're being abused, that you do need to get away from that. 
right? We understand that. But for the most part, we're not separating because we're mad. We're not separating because they're a jerk. Lots of people are jerks, right? If you're newly married today, like right off the bat, these first couple of years, they're going to be wonderful and they're going to be great. And then you're going to go through that jerk season. My wife had to endure that with me, right? She endured the jerk season. And, and she's just now coming out of that, thank God. And, and, uh, and I'm becoming a good husband, finally. Um, and so, and so you got to, sometimes you got to endure some things, right? That's part of growing together. That's part of living together. It's hard. It's not easy. But Jesus says the two become one. Fight for the one. Don't fight for yourself. Fight for the one. Fight for the one. That's the most important, right? Okay. Now, do you see where I could spend a whole series just on that? Okay, so... Please, understand that before you start asking me questions or writing in saying, you didn't talk about this. Okay, I got you. There's a lot I didn't talk about. Number two, can I bring a non-believer into my home? Um, I don't understand exactly the way the question was written, but here's what I'm going to say. If you're asking me, can I marry a non-believer, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that's a really bad idea. I've done, I've done premarital counseling way too many times, and in the course of the premarital counseling... And, and I tell all of my people that I do premarital counseling with, I say, Sean, I just told you this the other day. I said, look, you probably need to get counseling after you get married. And they're like, why? I said, because you're not going to listen to anything I say before you get married, right? Like, you're not li- I'm here talking because I'm making you do this, but you're not listening to me. I get it. Um, here's the thing. I have told people before, I'm like, I feel like you're saved. I feel like you're born again. I feel like you're serving God. I don't think your spouse is. This is not a good idea. Don't get married. Wait. And you know what they do every time? They get married right away. It's like, can we speed it up? Like, can we get married sooner? And I'm like, I just told you this is not a good idea, right? Like, like don't do it, and then they do it. So, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Don't be yoked together with unbelievers, for what is righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Yeah, but can't I have unsaved friends? Absolutely. Like, like we would never reach people with the gospel if we didn't have unsaved friends. But what does the word say? The word says yoked together. The word yoked there means, it doesn't mean that you're really strong and jacked. It means that you've got a, a, a piece of wood that goes between the two of you. They would, they would yoke together two oxen to pull um, a cart or to pull a plow. And, and, and the yoke tied the two together. And they worked together in that. So you can take this to mean a couple of different things. A, you need to be careful going into business, right? Going into business with a non-believer because your values and their values are going to be very, very different. Not that they're a bad person, but your values are going to be different. Here's the other one. Going into a marriage covenant with a non-believer is going to be very difficult for you. Honestly, I don't see it work out very often. So today, if you're dating somebody, or you're looking to get married, or you're looking to get engaged, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right off the bat, you better make sure that your partner is born again. Because you are setting yourself up for a long time of hard work. It's just difficult. I just don't see it work out all the time. Like, I see a lot of divorce when it comes to this. So, so I'm warning you, don't bring a non-believer into your home, um, yeah, but what if I'm dating a non-believer, uh, bring them to church, right? Talk to them about Christ. But if they refuse to serve God, if they refuse to be born again, 
then, then you have the right to refuse that ring. Right? You don't have to put a ring on her finger. You don't have to take a ring onto your finger. You can wait. Um, no one was ever hurt by waiting. All right, number three. Can unmarried people have sex? I'm laughing because I know this, this was a question asked to me personally. It wasn't typed up, so I know exactly who asked it. Um, can unmarried people have sex, sleep in the same bed, sleep under the same roof? So I had a teenager ask me one time. They said, they said hey, so let me ask you a question. And I said, okay. And they said, I understand that you say that people can't have sex before they get married. And I said, all right. And just FYI, most of the questions in this whole series, probably, probably most, probably more than half, have been asked by teenagers. I think that's outstanding. Outstanding. So, um, so anyway, so they said, I understand that you can't have sex before you get married. Or at least that's what you say. And I said, yeah, that's what I say. And they said, but what about if they sleep in the same bed together. Just sleep. Not like sleep, you know what I mean? But sleep. Just, just two human beings of the opposite sex that love each other under the same covers. Bundling. Can I cuddle? Can we sleep? I like doing this. I don't know why, but it looks funny to me. Can I sleep in the bed together? And I said, okay, that's a good question. Any more questions? They're like, okay, and beyond that, what if they sleep under the same roof? I'm like, well, what do you mean under the same, like, why wouldn't they be in the same bed if they're under the same roof? What do you mean sleeping under the same roof? And they're like, like, well, you know, like, like I heard some friends of mine say that he fell asleep at her house. And I said, at her parents' house? On the couch. He's like, yeah. While they were watching a movie. Yeah. I said, buddy, if that's the deal, mom and I sinned a bunch before we got married. Because mom sleeps through every movie, no matter whose house we're at, you know. So anyway, so let's talk about it. Let's back it up. Can you fall asleep under the same roof with someone of the opposite sex? Yes. Yes, you can do that. How many of y'all are relieved now? Yeah. Can you sleep in the same bed with somebody? I'm going to be honest with you. The Bible doesn't say no. The Bible doesn't say no. So if you want to sleep in the same bed with somebody, biblically, actually, the Bible actually says that, that two people keep warm if they're cold, like sleeping together or whatever. Uh, so biblically, is it okay? It's not condoned. It's not condoned. It's not like the Bible says, hey, you know what you ought to do? Here's a good idea. If you're dating, that's, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. Okay, so, so let's think more common sense, right? More common sense. I'm going to tell you, before we even get into scriptures, I'm going to tell you that sex out... We already told you, sex outside of the marriage covenant. we got this covenant here. Any sex out here is a sin, right? So whether that means you're in marriage covenant and you step outside to have sex, or if you're both outside and you're having sex, then that is a sin. So that's right off the bat. We got that. And I'll tell you why in just a second. But when it comes to could we sleep in the same bed, why would you want to is my question. Why would you want to? Because here's the thing. Temptation is not a sin. Acting on temptation is a sin. Why would I put myself in a place of temptation? Why would I put myself in a place where I know I'm going to be tempted? Right? You put me in a bed alone with my wife? I'm going to be tempted. 
And so you've got to understand, you've got to understand if you're dating somebody, you're going to be tempted. Don't put yourself in that situation. You just don't do it. Yeah, but, but we, you know, we had to go get a hotel. If you had enough money to get one hotel room, you had enough money to get two hotel rooms. And that's not true. Okay, you had enough money to sleep in the car. Right? You let her sleep in the hotel room, you sleep in the car. Or you let her sleep in the car, if that's what she really wants to do, and you sleep in the whatever. I mean, I'm not... If you're trying to have sex, you're obviously not being a good man anyway, so... All right, so, so can unmarried people have sex? Let's talk about it. Here's what the Old Testament says. Deuteronomy 22, 28, and 29. Suppose a man has intercourse with a young woman who is a virgin but is not engaged to be married. If they're discovered, he must pay her father 50 pieces of silver. Then he must, look, must, not should, not can, must marry the young woman because, why? He has violated her. And... Whoa, hello, voice. I just turned 13. And he may never divorce her as long as he lives. Listen to the strength of this. Listen to the strength. Not only does he have to pay the father, because he's taken, he's taken a worker out of the father's household. Back in those days, kids, everybody worked, right? I'm not talking about putting the dishes in the dishwasher so it'll wash them for you. I'm talking about every single one of you jokers will be out in the field working, right? So, so when, a man, when a man has sex with a woman outside of marriage, he just stole a worker, and so he has got to pay for that worker, and then he must marry the woman because he has violated her. Yeah, but we love each other. You may love her, and she may love you, but what you did is a violation against God's law and against that person's body. So did you really love them? Absolutely not. You lusted after them, but you didn't love them. Because last time I checked, love is sacrificial. Love is patient, and it's kind. And so if I love you, I can be patient to wait until we get married, until we're not in sin. If I love you, I can be kind and not violate you, right? So that's the Old Testament. Yeah, but that's Old Testament. What does the New Testament say? You're not going to like this one either. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Sexually immoral is a word... Uh, porneia, which is the same word we get uh, pornography from. And it means any kind of sexual sin outside of the covenant. Another, another de- definition of the word porneia it means to sell off your innocence. So in other words, what Paul's saying here is he says marriage should be honored. How do I honor marriage if I'm not married? I wait until I'm married to act like I'm married. The marriage bed should be kept pure, right? So whatever happens on the marriage bed is pure. That's fine. It's within marriage. You need to understand that. And then Paul says, but, but God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Anybody that's just selling off their innocence and their purity. Any kind of sexual sin outside of the marriage covenant. Paul says you're going to be judged for that. Better watch out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3, starting in verse 3. It's God's will for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. 
We can put that one down in the question about how do I avoid sexual temptation. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. Don't sleep in the same bed, right? right? Stay away from it. Then each of you will control his own body and live in the holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who, don't, who, who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly sworn, uh, warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The, the term there, it says, control your body and live in holiness and honor, also means um, to take a wife for himself. In other words, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, A, stay away from sexual sin, avoid it. B, if you can't avoid it, if you're in a situation where you are in love and you're just like, man... I, I, I'm in love with this person. I really want to sleep with this person. Like there's a desire there. Okay, that's great. God put desire inside of us, but you got to know how to control it. How do I control it? Paul says the way you control it is through marriage. Now, is that the only reason you should be getting married? Absolutely not. Not a good reason to get married, but Paul's saying if you're going to lose control, how do I find control? I find control within the covenant of marriage. Right? That there's a place there that, that we got to have. All right, I'll read one more and then we'll be quiet about that. 1 Corinthians 7, 8 and 9. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. So right off the bat, single folks, you're like, yeah, okay, thank you, Paul. Because Paul said, just stay unmarried. You're good. I'm, I'm single. That's what Paul said. I'm single. Look at what I'm doing. I'm a missionary all over the world. I'm writing half the Bible. You could, you could join me unless, you know... Let's tear up the kingdom of God. Let's just go blow this thing up, right? He's doing a great thing. He says, but if you can't control yourself, then you should go ahead and marry because it's better to marry than to burn with lust. In other words, Paul says, if, if you just can't control yourself, if you've got, you know, you, I just got to get married. I got to get married. I got to find that woman. I got to find that. Paul says, just go on and get married. Like, don't even try to be like me because you can't. Just get married. And so you need to understand that. Why, why am I saying that? Am I giving every teenager in here with a lustful thought the right to get married at 16? Absolutely not, you crazy. Like, there's no way I'm going to let you do that. What I am telling you is this. You need to see that there's a difference between sex in marriage and sex outside of marriage. Paul says sex outside of marriage is wrong and inside of marriage is right, holy, pure. God honors it. It's a good thing. Outside of marriage, absolutely don't do it. Not good at all. So you need to understand the difference in the two, and that's why I'm telling you that. All right, question number four. What does the Bible say about homosexuality, gender identity, and then how do I talk to people about it? I'm going to just be honest. I'm going to tell you right now this is too big. Um, I've got like technically three minutes left in my sermon that I, that I have to talk. Um, obviously, I'm going to go a little bit over today. But this is way too big, way too big to get into this in this much time. I will tell you this, uh, Genesis 2 says that, uh, 2.18, the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, a helper suitable for him. That, that term helper suitable uh, means this, that which is opposite, that, that which corresponds. 
It means to be complementary genetically. It means to fit together physically. It means to have the ability to produce children. It means fulfilling roles of loving and submitting. So when God looks at man and he says, I'm going to create a helper suitable for him, he says, I'm going to create the exact opposite of what he is so that the two can become one. If it's the same, it doesn't work. I got to be able to fit them together. The two must become one. Here's the other thing you need to understand about gender identity and, and homosexuality is God created you with a purpose, with a destiny, with a plan, just like you are. Now, some, some of the big arguments, um, let me read this verse and I'm going to tell you some arguments real quick. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says this, Paul speaking, or, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, pornaia, we just talked about that, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Right there, I want you to notice a couple of things. Here's a couple of key points. We're not going to use this word of God to harm people. We use it to build people up. So I want you to notice something. Notice that, that homosexuality is right in there with greedy. How many of you have ever been greedy in your life? You're just as bad as the homosexual. So what we do in a lot of churches is we get up there and, and we rant and we rave and we call names and we tell people that God hates them because of that sin. But yet that same pastor that's ranting and raving, he ain't turning down checks. Right? He's steady buying cars. So don't talk to me about one sin being, being different than the other. They're all the same in God's eyes. Here's another thing um, I, I want you to notice. Some common arguments that you're going to hear, especially nowadays, there is a, um, a pro-gay uh, pro theology um, in, the, um, in the progressive Christian church. And so, so here's the thing. We also have a lot of homosexuality and gender identity issues um, in our culture, in our media, right? It's constantly flooding our media. My kids can't watch cartoons anymore on Netflix because they're creating characters within those cartoons to just subtly introduce that it's okay even at 10 years old, 9 years old, 8 years old, 7 years old, 6 years old. Suddenly it's okay for you to question how God created you, right? And so, so you just need to understand that we are flooded with this. And so one of the arguments people make is they say, yeah, but... When Paul wrote this, Paul um, did not have the same context of homosexuality that we have today. In Paul's day, homosexuality was viewed as, um, as uh, abusive. That it was, it was really more about older men um, abusing younger men or older women abusing younger women. It was not in the context uh, of a loving, caring relationship, a monogamous homosexuality sexual marriage. It was not in that context. And so therefore you can't use this argument. You can't use these scriptures. They'll say you can't use the idea of, of gender identity of I don't understand or know um, that what I am. I'm, I'm confused about who I am because they didn't have that in those days. Let me just tell you that's a lie. 300 years before Christ, Plato um, was, was writing up his theology, his philosophy of Zeus and how Zeus created man as man, woman, and mixed. 
Plato's theology was that, that whenever God created you, that he created you, some of you as men looking for women, some of you as women looking for men, and some of you as mixed looking for the same. That you don't know, you're confused, you don't understand. This is pagan philosophy 300 years before Christ. Don't tell me Paul didn't know. Paul was a very smart man. In the same time frame that Paul lived, Emperor Nero had multiple male husbands. Husbands. Wedding ceremonies. So don't tell me Paul didn't understand people having... There are pro-gay... pro-gay historians that have come out and said during this time frame that that there were couples that were married, that that it it was very common in the Roman world. And they're not out to to get some kind of agenda across necessarily. They're, They're not Christian by any stretch, but they confirm and affirm what Paul's saying. So you just need to understand that that what what you or your friend or your loved one is going through right now is an ancient issue. It is not brand new. It's ancient. And when Paul talks about it, or Jesus talks about it, or Moses talks about it, they're talking about it from a place of understanding the culture around them. And it still applies to you and I today. Here's something I need you to understand today, too. When you talk to someone, and and look, I've done hours this week, hours of research on divorce and remarriage. I did hours of research just on homosexuality in the Bible, what that means. If you want to talk to me personally about it, I would be glad to sit down and talk to you about it. I'd be glad to pull out the 44 pages of notes I printed out just on this topic. Scriptures and history and comments. I'll, I'll be glad to bring all 44 pages to you and let's talk about it. But I can't get into all of that today in this little sermon. But here's what I can tell you. If you're having to talk to someone else about it, here's what I want you to know. Number one, you've got to love people without accepting sin. But you've got to love people. At the end of the day, God loves everyone. Does it mean everybody goes to heaven? Absolutely not. We just heard that greedy people aren't going to heaven. Right? I've got friends that are greedy. I've got friends that are selfish. I'm that way sometimes. So I understand that I I can't accept sin in my life and I can't accept sin in your life, but I can love you. I can love you. And when we use the word of God to break people, that's not love. You should always use it to build people up. Here's the other thing I need you to do. I need you to study God's word. And if you need help with that, I'll be glad to give you as many resources as I have. I've got lots of them that are very Bible-based. They're not, they're not um, doc, I mean, denominationally based at all. And so I would love to help you study God's Word for yourself. I, I think one of the downfalls to Christianity today is we depend on the pastor to know everything, and we don't know anything. I had a friend of mine one time. He went to go witness at downtown Birmingham at Five Points, and he, he talked to this lady, and he starts telling her about God, and she starts quoting Scripture to him, and he didn't know what to say. She said, you know what you need to do? You need to go home and read your Bible, because I know it better than you do. He did go home and read his Bible and came back, and she got saved. Um, Number three, never use God's word as a weapon towards people. Okay. Band, I told you guys I didn't know when I would let y'all come up. I'm going to go ahead and let you guys come up. Let's let's end this 
Real quick, how can I overcome sexual temptation? 1 Corinthians 6, 8. Run from sexual sin, exclamation mark. Paul is screaming this word at you today. Run from sexual sin. Don't stay around it. No other sin clearly affects a body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Paul says, yes, all sin in God's eyes is the same, but sexual sin is a deeper rooted sin. It's harder to get rid of. It's harder to get free from. So run away from it. I had a friend one time and he was struggling with, with, uh, he was struggling with his thought life and he was struggling with, with uh, temptations in his thought life. And, and I remember one time we were sitting in a meeting and, um, and while we were sitting there, we were, I don't know, 19, 20 years old. We were young and we were being used to do some kind of drama or skit or something. And so so we're sitting there, and I remember this woman comes in, and, and, and she was like, I don't know, maybe the director, or she was doing something. So she comes in, and whenever she walks in, she is wearing a very tight-fitting uh, shirt or dress or something, I don't remember. And it was very low-cut. Honestly, inappropriate for the setting, right? Very inappropriate for the setting. And she comes in, and she sits next to my friend, Unfortunately for him, he was really tall. And so he could see her. And, um, and I remember looking at him, and he, he just like did like this. And he did like that again. I was like, what in the world is he doing? And y'all, I'm not kidding. He jumped up and literally ran out of the building. Went home. Like, he didn't even stay. Like, he didn't come back. He, he just left. And I was like, what is happening right now? And so we, we got back later, and I, I, I found him later, and I was like, where did you go? What happened? He says, the Bible says run from, from sexual sin. And he says, you know what my struggles are. And he said, that woman came in, it was inappropriate, and I felt myself looking, and I said, no, I can't do this. And so he took the Bible very literally and ran out of the room. As funny as that is, I, I commend him. I think, man, that's brilliant. Brilliant. He's willing to be embarrassed for the sake of his soul. And it's not even his soul. It's not even, it's not even that having a, 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 a bad thought is going to send you to hell. Temptation doesn't send you to hell. Acting on that temptation sends you to hell. And he just said, I don't want that even in my head. I'm going to get as far away from it as possible, right? So let's end the message today. I'm going to give you three verses to end the message. I want to talk to you about restoration today. We've talked about a lot of sexual sin. So earlier I read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Remember that? Don't be deceived. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, um, homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. None of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. Remember that long list of bad things? Well, the next verse, verse 11, says this. In such were some of you. Paul straight calls them all out. Paul says, all these bad things won't go to heaven. And that's exactly who you were. He says, some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were sexually immoral before you got married. Some of you were drunks. Some of you were greedy. Some of you were selfish. And he begins to call them all out with that one little word. But here's what he says in the next sentence. But... And I love that. Whenever he throws in a butt, anytime a butt is in a sentence, guess what happens? 
Everybody's laughing. It's like, oh, but. Anytime you throw but in a sentence, here's what happens. It changes whatever is before it. Right? That's why you never say to your spouse, I love you, but. No, 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 don't ever say that. You're going to catch a shoe right in the side of the head. Don't say it. Whatever you say, and then you say but gets changed when the but comes in. Because here's what he says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Anna sang a song earlier talking about dry bones and talking about the wind. What is the wind? That comes out of Ezekiel when Ezekiel saw a valley full of dead, dry bones. And God said, Ezekiel, can those bones live? Ezekiel said, I have no idea. And God says, they can. Speak to them. So Ezekiel speaks to him, and when he speaks to him, all of a sudden flesh and sinew begin to come together, and bones begin to rattle together, and they begin to connect. And all of a sudden, these bodies begin to form on the ground out of the dry bones, but they weren't alive yet. And God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, speak to the wind, prophesy to the wind. And then the breath of God, the wind is the breath of God. The breath of God came, and it entered into all of those dead bodies, and they rose up as a mighty army. Some of you today, you walk into this place and you feel like your soul is a valley of dry bones. And you feel like I'm dead and I'm dry because of all of my sin. I've been greedy and I've, been, I've had these homosexual thoughts and I've, I've had these uh, sinful thoughts and I've, I've had sex before marriage and I, I've been an adulterer and, I've been, and you've got all of this stuff in your life and you feel like a valley of dry bones. But Paul says you've been washed And not only have you been washed, but you've been filled with the Spirit of our God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Stand up with me this morning. Let's dismiss. So what do I do with that, Gabriel? I need you to know something. No matter how bad you were, God can wash you. No matter what you've done, God can cleanse you. I need you to know this. God can take and make you brand new, and the old is gone, and the new has come. You can walk out of this building today a brand new person. Will I still have struggles? Absolutely, you'll still have struggles. But you'll have someone living inside of you that will help you get through those struggles. You've got a family that loves you, no matter what your sin is, because we all got it, and we love each other. And we want to help you through it. But here's the other thing. Here's the other thing I think is cool. Acts 3.19. So what do I do? I have to repent. The Bible says this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Let's pause. Repent. What does repent mean? Repent means I've got to change my mind on some things. Yeah, but you don't understand, man. I'm having these thoughts. I'm confused. I'm confused. Am I a boy or am I a girl? People at school call me names and they say things to me and it makes me feel like I'm less than and, 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 and I'm, not, I'm not the man that my dad was or I'm not the woman that my mom was. I just don't like the same things. Did you know that David was one of the most manly men in the Bible? And he cried and he wrote music and he played instruments a harp on top of all that, like, like the least manly instrument you can find. Right? Not the guitar. Right? Not the drums. The harp. And yet he also cut a giant's head off. Like you don't get much more manly. And walked around with it like a trophy. 
You don't get more manly than that. You don't have to fit into somebody's ideal manhood to be a man for God. I just need you to know something. You might have some thoughts, but I need you to change your mind. How? The Bible says think about things that are holy. Think, think about things that are true. What's the truth? The truth is God created you with a purpose. Not to be confused, but to know who you are in Christ. Repent and turn to God. So I repent, I change my mind, I think about new things, I don't keep thinking about the old things, and then I turn to God. What does that mean? I pursue God, I go after God, I worship God, I pray, I read my Bible, I, I try to learn as much as I can, I try to go after Him, I try to love Him as much as I can. And here's what the Bible says, my sins will be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That word refreshing there is the same idea of those dead, dry bones that were sitting there doing nothing, and all of a sudden the breath of God hit them, and they rose up as a mighty army. God is looking for an army today. He's not looking for a church. He's not looking for a bunch of sanctified, holy people to sit on some seats and and sing songs. He's looking for an army to go out and tell the world about Christ. But he needs you and me to repent, turn to God, and find those times of refreshing where he can breathe his breath into us. Why don't you close your eyes this morning? There may be lots of people today that are struggling with some of these issues. And I don't want to embarrass you today. It's not my goal to break you down. It's my goal to build you up today. So today, if you say, Gabriel, I need to repent. I'm not going to ask you what you need to repent for. You know what you need to repent for. I need to repent. I need to turn from my old ways. I need to change my mind. I need to turn towards God. I need him to forgive me of my sins, to wipe that mess out. I need to be a new creation. I don't want to live like I used to live. I want to live new. I want you, what you talked about, the breath of God. I want that, those dead, dry bones to become living inside of me. If that's you this morning, I just want you to slip your hand up. You can put it right back down, but let me see. Let me see. All right, cool. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, awesome, awesome. Let's pray this prayer. You don't have to repeat after me. I'm going to pray, and you pray something like it. But we need to start off by acknowledging who he is. So today we say, Lord Jesus, my Savior, you're the Lord and Savior. You're the one that leads me, and you're the one that forgives me. You're the one that saves my soul. You're the one that wipes me clean. You're the one that kills the old man and gives me new life. You're the one that breathes life into these dead, dry bones. I invite you into this place today. I invite you into my heart today. Forgive me and cleanse me of my sins. I repent today. I turn towards you, and I turn away from my old life. God, today I need you. I need you and nothing else. I need you and nothing else. So I invite you into my life today. I ask you today to change me, to help me to to not live the way I've been living and to live this new life that you've called me to. So like your word says, I pray that you would wash me today and I pray that you would fill me today with your spirit. I accept the fact that I can't get myself to heaven, I have to go through you. I have to go through your sacrifice. I have to go through your love. I have to go through Jesus Christ. I can't do it on my own. And I can't live my life the way I want to live my life. I live my life away according to your word because your word is truth. And today it's not about my truth. It's not about fluid truth. It's not about changing truth. It's about absolute truth from your word. And that's what I build my life on today. 
I love you and I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.